Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Swire football podcast. MWR.com is where you find all of our stuff. We're getting pretty busy, Matt. I'm Jeremy here hanging out with everybody. Matt, uh, we've got games this week. And by the time people listen to this, they'll probably be, what, two days before games maybe? One day. Uh, yeah. Game day if you're listening to it Saturday morning for some reason, which is fine, by the way. If, well, if, you're, if you're listening to it on Saturday morning, I suggest that you do it before, well, I guess kickoff would be at 11. Um, so, you know, roll out of bed and put this on. Instead of scrolling Twitter.com, uh, unless you're following us at MWC Wire. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know people are, are tempted to do that very first thing in the morning while they're still in bed. I do the yeah. same thing. Um, but maybe, maybe give this a listen instead of doing that. Totally. You can do both. Yeah. And we can, uh, early tweeting can lead to some fun stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends what we're doing. So, this week we have it's like our mini not a preview but it's like our what appetizer of the show we got three games we have some news type stuff we have the uh, we ask questions and people delivered with quite a few this week so people You're must be excited the this is the this is the week zero preview we have actual games to talk about as opposed to think I know. about we'll get to it I'm hyped we, I'm hyped you can't tell I, you can't I, tell but I'm like pumped I, up. Do we need to, but I want to talk about San Diego State, maybe just maybe getting the quarterback. Can we do that okay. too? Is that okay? We can talk about that let's too. Let's start with it. So you can gloat because it's going to be your guy, Jordan Brookshire, it looks like. Now, see, I didn't, I never said that Brookshire was my guy. You were most confident in him, right? See, I, I think what I, what I mentioned in the team preview podcast, and, and hopefully I can paraphrase it accurately a second time, it was that, you know, whatever decision San Diego State made, they needed to make sure it was the right one. And so, you know, give credit to, to Brady Hoke and, and offensive coordinator Jeff Heklinski for taking as much time as they felt they need. But, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, not being around the program, not seeing those three guys daily, you know, what they've done on the practice field or whatnot, whether that is the right decision. I'm just saying, like, Hogan and Klinsky better may, better be sure that it is. Because, you know, if they have if they want to have a chance of competing, 
and being taken seriously, answering that is priority number one. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, and as most people know, follow the Aztecs, they don't necessarily need a dynamic quarterback to lead the way. They need somebody who don't turn it over, pass when needed, and hand the ball off to Greg Bell. Mm-hmm. Just basically don't screw up, right? Exactly. And mostly like Brooks Charlotte, that BYU game, it wasn't his fault they didn't win or be closer, but he had a couple game stretch where he played well. It's not official yet, we should bring it up, but it seems likely because after the scrimmage on Sunday, Brady Hoke once for the second time in our spoke to the media brought up Brookshire first. So by the time you hear this, it might already be game over for the quarterback spot where it's going to be him. So that's kind of, that's something to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, also we have Rams quarterback issues, not issues, but a uh, depth issues with a backup being injured and I, sorry, I thought I had it in front of me, but the severity. Matt Belisi, who we just talked about in the last uh, mega preview podcast. Remember, he's trying to vie for the starting job. He's like, I don't cover to be no backup. Well, unfortunately, he got hurt. And so now you have some other random guy who's even less experienced than him back at, backing up Todd Centennial. And I'm not a huge fan of Centennial, and so we'll see. But of less, the less these injuries, a season ender, too. So it's not like, oh, a couple weeks here and there. He's gone for the whole year. Yeah. So that's – do you want to change your prediction, a bold pick about them going to the bowl game or something, Matt, or are you okay still? I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily consider a backup quarterback being knocked out for the year, like one of those you know, game-changing type of injuries that would that would force me to change my picks. Um, I mean, it, it definitely makes, you know, Centeo's ability to, to improve upon last season that much more important, though, because, you know, if he gets hurt, then, you know, now all of a sudden you're down to a true freshman, you know, one way or another, who... You know, mm-hmm. never seen the field or anything like that. And, you know, have ha- has had, I think, you know, the equivalent of, you know, a few weeks worth of ball camp. It's a very dicey situation to be in if you're, if you're on that Rams team. Yeah, they have, um, a couple of true freshmen, plus also Jonah O'Brien who came from Eastern Illinois, where he played just one season, or excuse me, one game. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I'm kind of messing with you. That's that big of a concern, but the way Centennial played and him not being really that great, in my opinion, last year. We'll see. Maybe he'll be fine. The offensive line will protect him. It won't be a big deal, but uh, that's the other kind of big news through camp right now. Um, one thing I want to bring up, it came up one of our questions, too, and you, I don't fault you, Matt, as we mentioned before, anybody else who cares little or nothing about – do I need to use air quotes for the alliance? Is that how this works? Is that the proper way? So I guess we're talking about this for a minute. Okay. All we need. Hey, I'll give you the re- the reason you want to talk about Matt. Do you like playing UCLA as a Fresno State fan? Do you like playing a Big Ten team as a Fresno State fan? Do you like playing Power Five teams? I do. This could impact that, so you maybe want to perk your ears up a little. Okay. Bit. Okay. All right. So so lay this out for me because honestly, I did not give it that much credence when I read about it on Twitter. You're you pro you're that's you're right. The reason I paid close attention to it because of my job I had to okay you got George Klavikov Klavikov talking about it, Kevin Moore and um whoever the new ACC commissioner is, I forget his name, new guy. But it's like we got the lines. It's like if you ever read Matt Brown's extra points, he put it great on Twitter. This could should have been an email mm-hmm. one of those type of things because because they come out with a list of things that are really good. We don't need to get into them right now, but just just other op, but things that could benefit everybody overall. Stuff we see in the summer, NIL stuff, social stuff, um, women's sports, non-revenue sports. It's like a list. 
But there's nothing concrete because what they emailed out was basically what they talked about, meaning the funniest part of this, because these guys are lawyers, a couple of them are, at least the uh, Kevin Warren used to be or is, I guess, whatever, law degree, I should say, practice. But the funniest thing is, is like, some, like Bruce Feldman, Athletic, asked, is like, so there's no, like, what's in place? Is there any contracts, any details about you have the scheduling agreement? It's like, well, we looked each other in, in the eye. Oh, boy. That's not good enough. Oh, for sure, man. It's, yeah. Texas and Oklahoma signed something. They're leaving, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. But the big thing, the Mountain West, is like, well, we're going to schedule the agreement. Well, first of all, they're not canceling any games, not getting out of any contracts anytime soon. The Pac-12 still has to play nine conference games until their media rights renews or their deal, current deal ends in, I think, like two seasons. Mm-hmm. So they're still at nine conference games. So the way this occurred to Mountain West, if, say, the Pac-12 wants to play a Big Ten or ACC school every year or vice versa, that eats away at a non-conference game. So in turn, Fresno State, like you guys played USC, UCLA. We have San Diego State, Utah. We have had Wyoming. Well, that's, Wyoming played Utah. I suppose I was going to say Texas, but not included in this because Big 12 is left out. But basically, this could hurt the Mountain West, Matt, because – Fewer chances to play big time games or and getting to pay games like Utah State just signed a deal to go to Texas A&M for one point six five million for one game. You mm-hmm. know how Fresno is as well. They had that well they had six games in Southern California right now to play USC UCLA all on the road to make money. Something like, like that. That's, yeah, that that's where it could come in to hurt the conference here. I mean, like may- that, maybe, but you know, what what, what what would prevent, for example, the Pac twelve? From you know re, from revising like their their conference schedule for example because it wasn't that long ago they were only playing eight conference games rather than the nine. Well, they're probably if they do this they're, they're honestly probably going to drop eight when the new TV deal comes out. So if they go from say the Big Ten and Pac will go from nine, then it, the opportunities are basically the same because of that ninth game is has to be against the ACC or Big Ten. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if they stay at nine and then add another one because the deal about this they don't say it out, out loud. They kind of do, but don't. They want to have bigger games for their TV revenue, so or TV TV money and stuff. So if they can get um, to pack twelve has twelve teams, right? Obviously, if they play twelve more Power Five teams, they are and six are at home every year. Like, hey, we got six Power Five teams, even though the matchups could be garbage. Like, the people could. It's like, are they going to care about Syracuse, Utah? No, not really. But they could. They could build that. Like, okay, hey, we're going to get have Ohio State play the worst Pac-12 team, but people watch because it's Ohio State. So they could sell that type of package and get a little bit more money. That's their end game there if they keep it nine. But that's if they go back to eight, it's a non-issue. But if they stick at nine with how big the leagues are, then it could be an issue. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man, because I think it really comes down to, like, how you what your scheduling philosophy looks like. Like, if you're a middle-of-the-road team in any of these conferences – and and now all of a sudden you're being forced to, you know, I don't know, but you know, places that play another pack to like another above average team from another one of these conferences rather than you know, maybe a, a middling or below average group of five team that's nearby. You know, you give them a paycheck, you get a win, and that you know strengthens your eligibility to like appear in a bowl and make a little more money that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. like you know, why would teams in the middle be willing to sacrifice that? I mean, I, 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 I mean, know. I get where I get You're where like, stronger. I get where stronger competition brings eyeballs, but it also, 
you know, in some element, in some, in, uh, you know, some of the dynamics could, you know, potentially damage teams from season to season. Just in terms of, That's like, the schedule. Nine I, think it, I think it works both ways. Like, maybe it brings in more TV viewers, but I think it, it creates more disinterested fans down the stretch. Hey, they mentioned new budding rivalries, Matt. You're telling me you don't want to see Stanford play Wake Forest in that new college football rivalry in the smart, from the smarty pants from each school? You're telling me you don't want to see that? <laughs> it's something as a joke, but you're, well, you're here's, 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 here's the other thing too. Here's the other thing. Why does the ACC want this? Like, do you know how bad they've been against the Pac-12 over the last decade or so? I don't have it offhand, so if you have it, let me know. So, so the Pac-12 is 21-3 and against the ACC since 2010. <laughs> I didn't even realize that was the case. And, like, you know, the ACC is, you know, barely under 500 in that same time period against the uh, – uh, against the Big Ten, but it's like, you know, what what exactly is the draw for them here? I don't understand. The actual real draw, real thing is, why does the Big Ten want to do this when they are just as powerful as the SEC? Mm-hmm. But but your point about the bowl stuff, like that's why the Pac-12 with nine conference games and twelve teams. That's why they're not getting winning the playoff. That's why they're guaranteeing nine all these extra losses because you play an extra conference game. So mm-hmm. you're not wrong because if you're say you're Cal who's been okay. Crap! You got to play Miami, the Hurricanes, and they lose to them instead of playing, say, Miami, Ohio, where you go seven and five, six and six over five and seven. You miss out in the bowl game, so it goes both ways. But the whole thing means literally nothing because all the stuff they said, well, we'll agree to this, we'll do this, but we're not going to really do this. We're going to not have any contracts to sign any stuff. And then it's like, oh, the playoff—they're going to vote together. Great. They're like they think they're going to vote against SEC, but. Who's in the playoff anyways all the time? SEC gets two teams. If there's eight teams, SEC's going to get more bids. If there's 12 teams, SEC's going to get more bids. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Just whole, like, this whole thing's a joke. Like, I don't get their point. They don't, I, I don't know. It's the only way to impact them out in the West if scheduling comes into play because they need the money to play those teams and upset opportunities are going to go, go away, especially if you can get, like, Boise's got, they played Oregon in the past. They played, Georgia in the past, they put all these teams. You have San Diego State playing Utah. You have Fresno, Hawaii playing Pac-12 teams, upset chances. So those might go away a little bit, but that's kind of the only big thing. So, well, yeah. here's the other thing too. It's like, like you know, other than Alabama and and me in Georgia, maybe like how good is the SEC really as a whole? Like. Like, I know LSU won a national title and all that, but, I mean, other than that, like, you've got three teams since, like, 2013 that are in the top ten in terms of overall winning percentage, but it sort of drops off pretty quickly after that. Like, you know, teams have their moments. Like, you know, Auburn's an above-average team. Texas A&M has been an above-average team. Um, You know, Kentucky's had some moments and things like that, but it's like, like, it's is it – is it just like the the teams that have been consistently good at the top at the very top of the conference that literally nobody else in the conference has been able to match year after year that is really driving this conversation? Like, is it really about the SEC or is it about like Bama and Georgia basically? It is. It's Bama, Georgia, Texas A&M. I put close to there. Auburn said they won a national title the past decade. But if you, it's funny you mention that because Bill C put all SP plus rankings like mm-hmm. ske- was schedule. Train to schedule, and we did this on my radio show too. Where like, well, why is 
freaking Vanderbilt strength of schedule so high? Why is this team who's not very good, like LSU last year, not the best example, but they weren't a good team last year. Why does this team, Team X, have a top 20 schedule? Well, they play freaking Alabama, who's so good. And if you take away Alabama from who they're playing, like their strength of schedule drops considerably. Because if you look at Alabama's strength of schedule, it's not very good typically. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they play, <laughs> so that's the point. It's like you're, you, just because you have the your schedule, it's like in college basketball too to get those stupid top fifty opportunities to get NCAA tournament. Like, hey, it looks good. You played. You're gifted a good strength of schedule because of what league you play in. If you're in basketball, see, not that it matters. That's what you call it, football. But if you're looking at that and you're a close team, like you're a like Texas A&M was close to being a playoff team last year. Because they had to play, I believe they played Alabama last year. I don't recall, yeah, pretty sure they did. But the opportunity there, and you're not wrong, because when you play Alabama or Georgia, or even both, your schedule is going to skyrocket. But if you yeah, miss I those mean, two teams, like, you know, that's, and that's and the Auburn thing. Have been about as successful over the last decade as like Michigan State and Utah. And we're not that's really talking about better. Michigan State and Utah as being like these like super dominant, powerful teams. Like, of course, you know, A&M right now is, like, on the upswing. They're, like, a legitimate contender, but that hasn't always yeah, been yeah. the case. Like, sure. you would have said the Ask same, you would have said the same thing about, like, you know, Mississippi State a couple of years ago. Like, weren't they, weren't the Bulldogs, like, number one in the very first college football rankings back in 2014 or whatever? They're pretty high for a while. But you're not wrong. Like, Michigan State went to playoffs a couple of years ago. So they've been up there. A&M's pretty close. Just people watch the SEC doesn't necessarily mean the SEC is that much better once you get past, like, Bama and Georgia. I guess that's what I'm saying. But if you're first as a state, wouldn't you still want to go beat the crap out of Ole Miss or something? I would. <laughs> okay. Just saying. But you're not wrong. But just, just we'll see the schedule. But I guess the positive could be if the – I guess the other last schedule thing, they'll move on to more mountain-centric stuff. But say the alliance comes to be and they make it actually worthwhile – like, oh, the SEC can't play those teams. They'll still play them, but that could open up the Mountain West to play them more often just because they don't, t- they need teams to play and they're to buy games in. They, there's only been a couple. You have Texas A&M, New Mexico. We've had Alabama, Colorado State, Arkansas, San Jose State. Florida played, I forget, somebody recently in the Mountain West, I think. Hawaii did a couple years ago. Maybe it was before in the league, but that could open it up as well to play them. But it's, I don't get why they're scheduling. The, what they're trying to do makes, Zero cents. There's no enforcement. And what they sent out in the press release, they just had a talking press release that wasted 45 minutes of my time and laughed my butt off about. We, we just, we're just, we just looked you in the eye. We're, we're so, it's going to be so amazing. I like you so much. We're, we're totally not going to backstab you when we get to do a home and home versus or, or a neutral site game to pay $3 million in the Chick fil A game playing Florida versus like USC or something. Like, come on, mm-hmm. give me a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So do you have any, let's go through our questions. Do you have any particular questions you want to get to? I have one I could laugh at, and but I don't want to get to it because I don't want to be mean and I can just laugh if you go read the comments, you'll figure it out. But um, if Hawaii still a line, we'll get to that later. But any questions you want to get through on this that, that piqued your interest or I can pick a couple? I'm only you pick first. I'm trying to see if not game-related. I like the one I want to kind of bash somebody up, but I'm not going to. It be nice. Um, with the alliance thing, blah, blah, blah. It, okay, here's what it could be. One last thing. The Big 12 with this alliance, you're not part of it because you're going to be a piece of trash. 
Do you think the Big 12, if they want to make the best football league out, like mentioned, like Cincy, BYU, Central Florida, Boise State, do you think like that would would they go to that conference if it were to happen? That's basically somebody's question, like making the best of the Big 12 and pull some Mountain West stuff from it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> We've discussed this before, too, so it's not like – Go back to our Texas Oklahoma media day show where we talked about this probably way too long. Because it, 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 are they going to make more money making a jump? If the answer is yes, then it's going to happen. There you go. That's why it's all. It would have been cool if Utah, TCU, State, and BYU, but that never would have happened back in the day. Just because it's all about the money. All right, here's a good one here. So predictions for let's kind of get to game stuff a little bit. But do you have an? Who do you get pick as the best offensive player this week? That's a particular question. Best offensive player and defensive player for week zero. Hmm. Okay. Well, I have I have a couple of nominees in mind, but I'll bring them up as we go through the games. Okay, we'll do that too. Um, and one thing we should watch for each week. This will be a game game stuff. Um, I thought we had different questions. I may be looking at the wrong thing, but most people want to know about the alliance and expansion. I must have misread the question earlier when I was looking well, at it. Okay, but, let's let's talk about Utah State for a moment. Because we didn't okay, get a question about the Aggies. Fine, let's about answer that. Having, about we, having we, brought in a ton, about having brought in a ton of Pac five transfer. Excuse me, Power five. I don't know why I said Pac five. You know, okay. E team returning starters, and and I'm I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit because we we talked about it a touch when we did kind of our, our schedule overview for the Aggies, but I'm more interested in what you think about their capacity to do basically the equivalent of a 2017 Fresno State. So, so for those of you who are who are relatively new to the podcast and don't remember what that is off the top off the, off the top of your head, in 2016, Fresno State won one game. You know, they fired Tim DeRuiter. They brought in Jeff Tedford. That very next year, they won ten games. They went ten and four. Mountain West runners up. Um, you know, Hawaii Bulls champions over Houston, and that catapulted them to an even better year in 2018. And so I think that's a more interesting way of, of framing it because, it's, of course, it's not exactly the same kind of situation. Of course, you know, I think the Aggies maybe more so than just about any other team in the conference really went heavily on the transfer portal. And while we haven't yet seen what their initial depth chart is going to look like for that game uh, next week against Washington State, you know, it is sort of an interesting conceit. It is like, you know, they're, they're bringing in a, a coach with a, like a notable offensive mind. It seems like they have an identity. You know, they're still, I think, trying to sort out the quarterback situation, which, you know, is, I think, one of the last kind of concrete pieces of the puzzle anywhere in the Mountain West. So, like, what, like, what has to happen for that kind of turnaround to, to, to maybe say, like, you know, Utah State is not a team to be ignored? Well, first off, they're playing the Mountain Division, which is weaker, which helps them quite a bit when you're playing New Mexico, Colorado State, and, Whatever the Air Force, they're not going to be great, but they're still pretty good. They uh, they might have two wins under the belt regardless, just mm-hmm. right there. And Air Force would probably toss up game, but I think part of it's your schedule. But a part of, I can't answer definitively because I I could say I don't know. We have a better idea because Kalen DeBoer went to Fresno State. He went to Indiana to be their OC. Blake Anderson's been a court star, not a quarterback, star, a head coach, and done reasonably well at Arkansas State. Brought his quarterback. Brought in Rice to come in to play linebacker back the Mountain West. I don't know. I, I it's it's going to be honestly it's foolish to say either way because back then nobody predicted what that would be. That's what makes it hard. Like when you were 
when Fresno State, like you said, had Judd Tedford coming in, we, you infamous, infamously wrote like the worst hire ever in the world, essentially. We're yeah. completely wrong. But, so, I, we could be completely wrong in this too, and B, they could go seven and five. That, like, what record are you looking at? Because what did Fresno go there? They went, they, they went from one and 11 to 10 and four. Um, I, what I want to say about that, I think, with that many wins, one thing I want to ask you a bit too, do you think this Utah State team was it was better or worse than that Fresno State team that won one that won one game? I think they were probably a little bit better, to be honest. I think a touch. I would say here's the thing that helps them: it's their schedule helps them out because like they go to Washington State Week One. I I wouldn't be shocked if they like you listened to our Utah State preview and stuff. I wouldn't be shocked if they win. If North Dakota, they should win. Um, like BYU named their quarterback today, Jaron Hall. We'll see. They had some good skill players and a good running back, but. That's probably a game they won't win, but it's at home. It's win a bull, but I don't know if they'll win. They, like, rode at UNLV. Here's Skips to play at UNLV, at New Mexico State. They get their tough games at home and their easier games on the road, like New Mexico on the road, New Mexico State on the road, UNLV on the road. They host Boise State. Not that they're going to beat Boise State, but, like, they host Boise State. They they get to host Hawaii. It'll be pretty good. They get to host Wyoming. Their toughest game on the schedule probably at San Jose State. Mm-hmm. And so that helps them out a lot to maybe get a sneak out an extra win or two just because of where they're playing teams because home field advantage and not having either way, vice versa, having a good home field or, you know what I mean? That can help a team be better. I think schedule plays a big part of it. And that's where I'm kind of leaning ahead. I also think running back Devonta Henry Cole, who actually had an off season because he came in like what? Did he even come in after the season started or he came like in September or something right around fall camps getting on last year when he wasn't going to get the, any sort of playing time at BYU. So mm-hmm. there's that to consider as well. If he's going to be the guy and be maybe like the 70% carry running back, I think those type of things factor into it. It's That's kind of where I'm leaning to how they can do it because it's basically who they play, where they play. Yeah, Blake Anderson's good. Logan Bonner looks to be good. And so that's where I kind of think it goes. Their schedule is favorable to help them do that. And I think their running game and offense will be a bit different than the team seeing. That's part of it too. Scheme, people haven't really seen a ton of what, what these guys have done. They'll take Arkansas State tape and all that stuff. But I think that could be something to look at. Plus with Rice on defense, VG Vonkampal and other guys out there, they have opportunities. But I think it'll have to be like they have to play really good every week, the best of their ability. They clearly can't stumble and do and turnovers and have dumb plays, but they need to play their best almost every weekend. Their best, like if they play their, I don't know what their best would be. Like when I'm looking at who they play, they're not going to beat Boise State. They're not going to beat San Jose State. They're not going to beat Wyoming. When I'm looking at 100% guaranteed losses, there might be only four on the schedule that are, I'm going to give them a loss heading, heading into that game right now. Mm-hmm. I think it mostly just comes down to the offense. Because that okay. because that's the side of the ball that Anderson knows. Like that's where he made his bones at Arkansas State, and so like we all saw what a train wreck it was with 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 Gary Anderson and with Jason Whoa. Shelley under center. It's so just bad. it's it's sort of a matter of degrees, I think. Like if they're average, then they you know they'll probably win like four or five games. If they're above average, they can get to six or seven. If they could take that big leap forward. You know, then all of a sudden, some of those 50-50 games that you and I may have had them pegged for, you know, like Air Force, Hawaii, Wyoming, whatever, you know, if they win more yeah, of those I, games than we project them to lose, then all of a sudden it's not that far of a jump from six to eight wins. I think, the, like I said, the biggest question is sorting out quarter, the quarterback situation because in the most recent scrimmage that they had, I believe it was last weekend, 
you know, Bonner was fine. He was 14 and 25. He had almost 200 yards, a couple scores. Andrew Peasley was 7 of 14. Cooper Legas was 3 of 7. So it wasn't like anybody really separated themselves on the field. And I think, you know, I think we're both still under the assumption that Bonner is probably going to be the guy. But if that's the case, then he's got to come out and have a fast start against Wazoo. Because I think if it starts to look like it might be deja vu all over again, at least in, at least a little bit, you know, then it's, then you start thinking in terms of like more realistic expectations where there might be a little bit of a learning curve on that side of the ball. And I think it also depends too. It's yeah. like, you know, they brought in a lot of transfers, but we still don't know how many of those transfers have actually won starting jobs. And so, you know, on the one hand, yeah, if they can sure. go in and plug in a handful of, of, of roster spots, then, you know, great, more power to them. But, if they use a lot of those incoming transfers and it just ends up taking up roster space rather than being you know, a number of impact guys, then all of a sudden you're sort of behind the eight ball a little bit in the next year or two trying to replace those guys. It's that whole, you know, the, when you lean heavily on like Juco guys, for example, it, it tends to kind of put you on behind the eight ball if it doesn't work out. And so there's a lot of pressure on on the guys that they brought in from the portal to be able to, you know, be atop the depth chart or at least be on the two deep, if nothing else. And we don't know what that picture looks like just yet, but we'll know by this time next week. We should. I just, I don't, I, I can't say with any confidence that I'm going to predict like a seven or eight win jump. You know what I mean? To go to eight wins. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, then being, what were they predict? Fifth in the mountain division. That wouldn't shock me, but I could also see them maybe finishing third, but still being at best seven and five. At best. I don't mm-hmm. see anything beyond that. So, so that, I, mean, I think it's just a, I think it's yeah. just a matter of perspective. Like I think you know, it's and I said this on the on the team premium podcast, it's okay to be optimistic about Utah State. I think yeah. you know, pegging them from good to go from one to six wins like I did is pretty realistic, yeah. I think. You know, I, I like the the direction the offense is going. Well, we just still have to kind of wait and see it on the field. Yeah, um, we'll see. The, like them being a power again, I, I we'll we'll wait and see. They would title game once, but I hopefully for what they've been through pre Gary Anderson round one, I don't want to see that happen again because last year looked like that was the case and it was bad. Yeah, and hopefully it's just like a little blip on the radar the past couple of years. Um, all right, so let's get to the games. So the first game, now first off, Matt. I saw your email. Are you going to be in attendance at this game? Did you get word if you're going to be able to go or not? I have not heard just yet. <sighs> Answer your emails, folks. Get back to us. Yeah, life is life is slow when you're working remotely. Yeah. So the first game of the weekend, Fresno State hosting, I'm going to say it, defending national champions coined by the New York Times UConn Huskies. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I tweaked that. I thought I'd get more response on Twitter from that, but nobody wanted to go after, go, do anything with it. But co- they co- played champ- last week. champions with Old Dominion, that's why. Ah, uh, coach. But the New York Times didn't give them, did they? Did they give Old Dominion? I uh, thought it was just. You. I don't know. I have. I have, actually have no idea what you're referring to. I was just. You don't. You know, you Old don't, Dominion. You don't. <laughs> if you look, I put a link. I added it to your article as well, and the one I did. If you go read it, New York Times. Said UConn was basically the smartest team. They do not play due to COVID. Therefore, they win the national championship. That's basically that's, what. That's, it's just, that's just disrespectful to Conference USA, then. Oh, I'm just saying. Hey, you've got um, Stores Connecticut is in the New York Times region, probably delivery zone. So that's probably why compared to Old Dominion, which is what North Carolina, I want to say. 
Right? No, they're in Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Okay. Regardless, I like that joke and nobody apparently likes it with me, but I'm just going with it. But the game itself, early game, you mentioned a while back the heat. How hot is it going to be at 11 a.m.? Ooh. Um, so at 11 a.m., not as hot as it would have been at like 4 p.m. Cause I remember okay. the, I remember the season opener from a couple of years ago and it was like 108 outside and I was, I was dying and I was in, and I was inside a press box. <laughs> so yeah, I'd imagine sitting on metal bleachers is probably not going to be a pleasant experience. I believe the high for Fresno that day is supposed to be 104 degrees. At 11 a.m. or the high for just the day itself? The for, uh, high for the day itself. At 11 a.m., it's probably going to be like high 80s, low 90s. Okay, so, okay. So, wh- what do we know about UConn? Because we have a Q&A. It's probably posted by the time you hear this from the guys at the UConn blog. Dot com. Uh, Ahmed did a preview for us, and he sent some questions back. You told me the line itself in this game is 27 and a half. I put a few bucks on a bunch of these games. You adamantly told me, not that we need to get to it, but you've basically for the last nine of the points. Like, Fresno State's just going to steamroll this team. Give yes. us your pitch. You're going to crush them by four touchdowns or more. Well, I mean, I think it mostly comes down to the fact that, you know, UConn, it's important to preface this because we didn't really touch upon it in, in the, the couple of preview podcasts that we did for Fresno State and Wyoming. UConn's got some pieces. And even though the overall picture, you know, when they did play back in 2019 wasn't a pretty one, you know, they did recently send a guy to the NFL, an offensive lineman, Matt Peart, um, and they've got a couple of quality offensive linemen coming back. You know, they've got some talent up front. They've got a massive defensive tackle in six foot five, three hundred and thirty-three pound Travis Jones. You know, he proved he could disrupt in the middle and clog some running lanes. You know, they've got, you know, Omar Ford who had 70 tackles a couple of years ago. But what they don't have is a lot of experience in the secondary. You know, they've got exactly one guy listed um you know who had you know I think a handful of starts back in twenty nineteen, Miles Spell, who's only a sophomore. Everybody else is an or and none of them have any starting experience. And so I look at that and I look at Fresno State's own depth chart, which is bringing back pretty much everybody. You know, Jake Hainer's back, Ronnie Rivers is back to hundred percent, you know, Jalen Cropper, Josh Kelly, Jared Weepall are, are listed as the starters. Juan Rodriguez is back and he's healthy again. So that just seems like a really, really big mismatch right off the bat. It's like it's the kind of situation where yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ryan Grubb really decided to lean on Hainer's arm early and go for the kill. Because until Connecticut proves that it's a little better when it comes to defending the pass, especially against preventing big plays, then why wouldn't Fresno try and test that early and often? So you've had concerns about the Fresno State's offensive line. Like you mentioned, guys like Travis Jones and Day House, guys like Law Ugak. I believe that's correct. I don't know. Like to go after the quarterback. So, is how what concern level do you have that? Is the offensive line going to be fine because UConn hasn't played forever, and those two guys are they're like not. It's not disrespectful, but they good for UConn are actually good football players at this FBS level to go after. If they're going to throw a lot, is that going to what type of pressure could we see against Jay Kaner, who was running for his life last year a few times? I mean, I don't know that it's a huge concern because, you know, even two years ago, UConn was, was, I guess you would say, below average when it came to, you know, creating pressure. 
you know, in terms of sack rate, they were only 92nd in the country back in 2019. You know, they were 5.5%. And I think that, you know, Fresno State definitely had some shuffling going on along their own offensive line you know, last fall. But a lot of that was due to COVID concerns. And, you know, other than Moseva Bao, who is basically the, the only new starter in the unit, you know, everybody else has at least some starting experience. And they've had an entire fall camp to really, you know, get together, get familiar with the entirety of the playbook, all those protections and things like that. So I don't know that I would necessarily feel as concerned right away about UConn's front than I would be against maybe some other teams. You know, I'm, I'm thinking ahead to Oregon already a little bit, admittedly, and Kate yeah. Montoto. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Because, you know, UConn's got some pieces, like I said, but they don't, they don't have that top-end talent that I think is going to really threaten Jay Kaner too often. And even if they do, they still have to prove that they can stop the run, which, you know, that I think was a lot of what drove the uh, the messiness a couple of years ago. You know, they were 125th in terms of, like, line yards per carry allowed. You know, they were 122nd in terms of stuff rate. So they weren't great at rushing the passer, but they were also not great at just not getting pushed around, too. And, and you know, Fresno State's offensive line isn't necessarily, like, a, a top-tier unit in the conference, but I think they're pretty clearly, you know, above average when everybody's on the same page and everybody's healthy. And, you know, knock on wood, assuming there's no big injury in this, in this game, you know, even with UConn's talent up front, they should be able to, to be able to have their way with them more often than not. Okay, we haven't mentioned Ronnie Rivers. I like your points about that because, you, like, you're right. Like, they can't. It's like the thing they played last year. They can't be worse than last year, hopefully. And Hayner's too good of a player. The receivers they have, all the young guys are too good. What about Ronnie Rivers? You haven't mentioned him once. I think he's going to come in a big play. Well, I mentioned especially, him a minute ago. Oh, I, I, maybe it broke up there. Apologies, <laughs> my mistake. We had a little connection issue before, but I like what you said about everything going on. I think how he comes to play, like, you put, I mean, just. He's the passing, receiving, catching, receiving, running the ball. does all sorts of things. And that's going to kind of not mess with, but kind of make it difficult for that UConn defensive front. But is there anything on UConn? Like, I don't – like, they have an okay running game going on. Like, they have just okay players. But also, we didn't mention this at the beginning, they lost a ton of players to transfer just because they won the play last year. Mm-hmm. So they they had lost a bunch of guys. They had to bring in whoever were going to play because, like, I don't blame them. If they wanted to play and they felt those six enough to play last year, guys went to go find a place to play, especially if you're like an older guy. It's like, well, it's my last year to play, essentially. I don't want to sit out a year. Then maybe play one more year. Who knows? Like, eligibility was up in the air at the moment, if I recall. If you're like a senior or something, or if you're a guy who good enough to make the NFL, it's like you don't want to sit out a year and not play. But, like, the guys, I guess, running the ball, like Kevin Mensa, like a couple of receivers like Cam Ross, there's some pretty big threats, but quarterback – they have, at the moment, no starters mentioned or named at the moment. So that's also a concern for a team. Like, UConn's probably going to win maybe two games this year. They're not very good. And so they don't know their quarterback yet. Their team overall hasn't been good in a couple of years. Randy Edsel seems to be just cash his check to get those random. Does he sell those bonuses where, like, if he leaves at the half, he gets, like, a $2,000 bonus? And I have like no a, idea. Certain, a certain number of first downs, he gets a bonus. He has all these weird bonus structures, but... The year off, I get, like, they take care of the health. Players are really healthy to play during fall camp. Like, the CUNY did, like, they were hitting a bit more, which they probably need to do to get kind of used to that. Because we saw games last year where teams that didn't practice or weren't tackling were getting exposed. Like, Navy was the big one when they opened versus BYU. I remember that game where they couldn't tackle anything against BYU because they weren't tackling in practice. Mm-hmm. So getting more back in the rhythm of that is going to be needed and helpful. 
So they're like, I don't, I don't see an area where Fresno State is going to be outmatched against UConn. Like the only area I could see is that defense line concern, but like you said, they're probably going to be better and they should be better. And again, more practice and blah blah blah, all that type of stuff. Getting more used to everybody and playing just spring and fall typical stuff they could do. That's like the only area where there could be concern. But even if it is a concern and they get after Hayner a little bit, I still don't think there's enough for UConn to pull the upset. No, I mean I think I think the fact that UConn still doesn't know for sure who their starting quarterback is going to be is sort of telling. Yeah, because you know Jack Zergiotis was the guy who saw the majority of the playing time a couple of years ago. As a true freshman, you know, he had a, he, he definitely took his lumps. He, he finished that year with a, you know, 58% completion rate and nine touchdowns and 11 interceptions. So on the whole, it wasn't necessarily pretty, but he did have some games where he flashed some promise. Like he, you know, he played fairly well aside from a couple of interceptions against Illinois in a one score loss. You know, he, he, you know, <laughs> to his credit, he played well against UMass. Um, you know, played well <laughs> against job. Houston, played well against Temple. But the fact that he hasn't been able to win the job definitively over Steven Krajewski is, to me, like sort of a red flag, at least at the onset, because I would imagine as a whole, they're not going to be shy of leaning on Mensah. He like, he was, he's basically like a 20 touch guy, um, you know, thousand yard receiver both in 2018 and 2019. So he's probably going to get the ball early and often. In between yeah. him and incoming transfer Robert Burns, I'd imagine they're going to try and ride that running game as far as it'll go. Because, you know, other than Cam Ross, you know, who you mentioned a minute ago, mm-hmm. you know, he had six plays of, of over 20 yards a couple of years ago. But as a team, UConn wasn't that explosive. And so, you know, Mensah, like I said, was a thousand yard runner, but for his career, he's averaging four and a half yards per carry, which is, Good, but not necessarily great. And so I think it's, I, I kind of see this situation where UConn wants to be more ball control offense just because that's more of what their personnel will allow them to be. And against a team like Fresno State, which is probably going to be more inclined to try and push the pedal to the metal, get as yes. many possessions as possible. I just don't think UConn's going to be able to keep up with that for 60 minutes. Not, right, at least so not well, without making not without making some mistakes that President's going to make that the Bulldogs will be able to make them pay for. Clearly, so it's twenty seven and a half points for Fresno. Do we have? The, did you put the over under in there? I only see twenty seven and a half. Do you think they're going to easily get win by four touchdowns? I never said it was going to be easy. I just said no. they would do it. <laughs> so the over under sixty three at the moment. It changed slightly from sixty two and a half. So this means Fresno needs to get, what, at least 45 points? Yeah, it sounds about right. So they can win, what, 45-20, somewhere in that range, you think? That's, that's not Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> my, predict, my prediction it was actually pretty close to that. My prediction was 49-20. to 20. So, Okay. We'll see. I I guess we get score predictions. I forget what we did last year, but I will go. I'll go big. I'll say they went 50-10. to 10. Why not? Well, we, we typically want projections first and then predictions. Oh well, I say fifty. Because to 10, because right? I do I do have SP plus and FBI projections. I forgot I forgot the order we do this. I apologize. It's been a long time. It's, it's been a long show. off season. You're, I, I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay. So so so, um, so SP plus, which of course comes from Bill Connolly, they project Fresno to win roughly forty three to eighteen, which I believe has, sees UConn cover or excuse me UConn cover twenty seven yeah, and no, a half. Please, please don't. <laughs> Uh, 
FEI projects Fresno State to win by 18.7. So I think that that would also mean that they see UConn covering. I don't see UConn doing it. I don't, I don't see it. Like, it could be 30, like, it could be 30 to, well, I would just say 30 to 3, that doesn't count, but like 35 to 6 or something, you know what I mean? Something like that. Like, UConn might get one touchdown in this game. I mean, I think they're, I think they could score a couple of touchdowns. I think that's going to be a really good litmus test for how well the Bulldogs have resolved kind of their biggest issues from last year, which mostly came down to allowing too many big plays on defense and kind of proving that some of the things that made a big leap forward, like the pass rush or like the passing game, are for real. Okay. No, that makes sense. All right. Um, next game? Yeah, let's do it. Hawaii at UCLA in the Rose Bowl, ESPN, 12.30 p.m. Pacific. At the moment, the line changed from it's. I guess it's eighteen at the moment. It was seventeen. I see seventeen and a half. Basically, seventeen, eighteen points. I remember a few like a month or two ago, open up at like minus eleven. Mm-hmm. But this game, you know what's funny about UCLA? They have, not for this game, but they're, to look at the because they play LSU next the week after, which might be a concern for this particular game on their part. You see, they're giving away tickets to like anybody and everybody for the LSU game. I did not know that. Because tickets Where for students, get in on that? I don't know. You got to be a student or a high, Southern California high school football athlete, first of all. Um, which is weird, but they're not doing that for the Hawaii game. Which you would think it would be flipped. Where oh, LSU's coming to town, we'll pay to go watch the Tigers play the Bruins and stuff. But the Hawaii, who cares? So we'll see how it goes. But this this matchup, like I. Like, I chat with the guys from Trojan Dwyer, Matt Zemek, a couple of days ago. I think it's going to be posted soon. We talked about this game a bit. And people seem to trust Chip Kelly more than they should. Because did you know he doesn't have a winning record yet at UCLA after, like, four seasons? Oh, trust me. I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. They lost to San Diego State, San Diego State last year. Um, they... The one thing they do, their record wasn't great last year either. The one thing they have going for them, they have a couple of things. Like the offense is getting better, like 35 points a game, which is pretty good. Defense is getting better, like as we read up on a few things from like LA Times and stuff, like their rush defense used to be like as bad as San Jose State, like really bad. It's gotten better, but they still give up like 30 points a game last year. Mm-hmm. Like their top 20 offensively scoring points, they're whatever 70 is, like bottom third, I guess, and I guess just under the bottom half, 40 percentile of points allowed. And what does Hawaii like to do, Matt? Hawaii likes to score points. And unless UCLA takes another step forward, I'm not entirely sure how they – what UCLA can, Bruins can do because one thing I was looking at, like when they played – they mentioned they played Gino Daniels of Arizona State. Because I think teams aren't really unsure what Hawaii is because this is another thing from LA Times you're reading about. Oh, they're playing a dual quarterback in Shaman Cordero. It's like, well, is he really, Matt? He's mostly ran out of necessity, not necessarily they wanted to run as much as he did. Because remember, as we all know, you know, listeners should know, the running game wasn't great. They had players get hurt. They had players transfer out. We don't, we both don't see Shavon Cordero leading the team in a rushing attempt for rushing yards this year. While he's mobile, I think they're missing a the point saying he's te- really a dual threat quarterback. I mean, it's going to be a really big opportunity for a guy like Day Day Hunter, isn't it? Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, it's like I think they're looking too much at the numbers and not – more what actually happened. And I think it's interesting, like, when you look at the Hawaii depth chart, I don't know if you had a chance to do so, they have Calvin Turner listed as running back slash wide receiver, which I don't think I have ever seen on a depth chart before. 
I mean, it, it sounds right, but <laughs> it's totally. But I'm just thinking, you know, like if if Day Day Hunter comes out and and has the kind of at least start or shows some flashes of the kind of player that we saw in last year's bowl game, for example, I think that that bodes very well for Hawaii's overall chances because I think the one thing that plagued them last year, and we talked about it a little bit on the preview, is worth mentioning here again. They got off to some really horrible starts last year. And by the time they were able to get things going, especially on offense, it was, it was already too late. And the thinking like primarily of the, of the San Jose State game, I believe the San Diego State game was maybe the, State as well. the most glaring example of that. And, you know, a lot of that is going to fall on Cordero, rightly or wrongly, because like when you look at his per down splits from, from 2020, first down especially, and, and, and the first quarter of games, were by and large like his worst overall numbers. And so I think, you know, he's just going to have, like if he could be at least a little bit closer to what he was after the first 15 minutes, then, you know, that's another thing where an improvement by degrees gives the Warriors a much better chance to hang around. Like if they go three and out on their first couple of series and put a lot of pressure on the defense to keep UCLA off the scoreboard early, that I think is going to spell trouble. But I think, you know, if you're looking for a silver lining, you know, that I was going to say, I would say that that split was kind of a one-time thing, but he had this similar kind of situation when he saw playing time in the first quarter in 2019, too. You know, that was his worst quarter at that point, too. So I think it mostly just comes down to him getting off to a faster start, whatever form that takes. Yeah, they can't. They can't have those slow starts because then they lose games, right? They, mm-hmm. they can't. They can't. They can't undig that hole or dig the hole. Like they can't shovel fast enough. One thing which is good and bad: the Bruins' defense, like secondary, gave up like two gave up two hundred seventy five yards per game last year. So there's that. But then they have a change of defense coordinator Brian Nordwood joining the staff. Or, excuse me, defensive backs coach. Like they made some changes there. Their, their scheme's going to be a little bit differently because the secondary wasn't good. But then again, they returned ten starters. But then again, they yeah. also their second their secondary returns guys that gave up a bunch of yards. So it's like I say all the time: Are they going to be better? Probably. But how much better they are since they weren't good last year and played like seven games? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and beyond that, you know that that UCLA defense has seen some changes on its opening depth chart that I don't think a lot of people really expected. Like for example, Jay Shaw, who was a starter for pretty much all of last year, you know he lost a cornerback job to uh, transfer Cameron Johnson from North Texas. Um, you know, so that's, you know, one potential maybe yellow flag that Hawaii can exploit if, if Cordero and the wide receivers around him can kind of hook up for, you know, more explosive plays than they were able to in, in 2020. Um, you know, I think, you know, the fact that they, they're actually starting two different starting quarterbacks, you know, in, in Johnson and, and Obi Ebo. That is something that Hawaii could potentially exploit, but that's another one of those things that very clearly and directly falls on Cordero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I like with what Cordero does all this all those things. I'm I just want I guess what I want to see the offensive looking at bounce around a little bit here and there is we meant like we know the slow starts can happen. They they're gonna have to be running backs with Calvin Turner and whoever else is back there. We guys who mentioned. It's the biggest thing, like, finding, like, who they're going to catch the ball as well. Because if they're behind, they don't want to be behind. They need to find those go- – like you mentioned, you can't have the short three and out. They can't give up the ball right away. They need to move the ball. And 
what is Hawaii, what is UCLA preparing for? Are they preparing for a guy who can throw the ball well? Because Cordero is good at both, right? Like, he only ran because he kind of was forced to run. And when you look at what I think they could do, I still think it's going to be like Calvin Turner, like kind of what he can do, because he's a guy that UCLA kind of knows what he can do, but we don't even know what Calvin Turner can do because he didn't really start doing anything until like midway through the season. And if we remember last year, after that second half of the season when they kind of picked it up, it was because he was getting more opportunities on the field. And so I think a key is getting him the ball as much as they can, but not overdoing it. Like, you mentioned running back wide receiver. <laughs> What's he going to play? Is he going to be an H-back guy? Is he going to be a slot guy? Is he going to, he's probably going to line up in the backfield, go be a, he's going to be a guy, the reason both positions I'm guessing, he's going to line up in the backfield, motion out receiver and vice versa throughout the game. And you're going to have some mismatch because he's probably too fast for a linebacker to cover. Like if he's coming out of the backfield or defensive end, they're not going to cover him. And going up against a cornerback, that's probably more if he because I don't know how that matchup could really work. But I think if he's what they want to do is get him. We've seen shorter stuff, quick, give him the ball quickly. And if he's going up against like a D end or linebacker, it's like it's game over. There's they can't cover him as well as they need to. They need to because he's so fast. There's a size disadvantage most likely, but the speed there, they're not going to be able to cover him. And so I think they they need to. I think that's what their plan is, Matt. Clear, just get him the ball as much as they can in a different ways which will open up other receivers, other tight ends, maybe Cordero to actually run the ball occasionally or get a different running back to ball with some sort of like a play action or the fake toss and the counter running play or something. And they, I think it's going to be fairly they creative with really the needs, They really need somebody who can stretch the field. And yeah. Calvin Turner, as good as he is, is not going to be that guy with how they typically deploy him, though. And yeah, so I think correct. I think it's going to be a really huge opportunity for someone in that wide receiver unit to step up because like we we saw Jared Smart be able to stretch the field as part of the running shoot a couple of years ago and then he more or less disappeared for large stretches last year. So you know this is a, this is an opportunity for him in a, in a very winnable matchup from play to play to reestablish himself as a as a top end Mountain West wide receiver and if it's not him. Then maybe it's one of the bigger tar- targets on the TD, like you know, like Aaron Seppis or, or Nick Mardner or, or the new tight end from Georgia, Caleb Phillips. They need one of those guys to really step up and at least at least threaten that they have some kind of downfield element that UCLA is going to have to think about. Because if they are able to play closer to the line of scrimmage and focus on shutting down Hunter and Turner, that's going to put a lot of more pressure on Cordero to try and do things with his legs, you know, do things closer yeah. to the line of scrimmage more north-south than, than anything else. And that's not going to work for Hawaii in the long run. Yeah, so really quick, I'm smart. Last year, only 8.8 yards per attempt or catch. Year before, reasonably okay, 13. But he also had a mixed bag because, like, we played BYU in the bowl game, 20 yards per catch. He had mm-hmm. Army, 8.15. He hit him multiple games where he had over well over 10 yards, yeah. like over 15 yards. I think one thing, too, like, a way to stretch on the field, like I mentioned Turner, but he can go like east to west. Like if they can, it's like I remember when Urban Meyer first brought out like the offense of Utah. It's like he wasn't going downfield a ton. He would go left to right on the field. And so if they can pull guys out that way with what Turner can do, that will at the very least, like you mentioned, a tight end transfer from Georgia coming in, like that could leave the middle wide open. It may not be a downfield passing, but it could still lead to that but it could leave that middle quite open for a 10-plus yard play to the tight end or somebody doing some sort of crossing route when everybody 
with them Turner going doing jet sweeps or quick passes to the outside or something that goes left to right instead of all the way down the field because then it kind of changes where the defense coverage and leaves other places open. But you're still right. They need to have some threat because right they, they're going to step in, step in, step in. It's running, running, and you have basically 11 guys, every defender within 10 yards of line of scrimmage, and you can't get over the top of that. And they're impressed. They're not going to go deep. It's like – Mm-hmm. They're they're not going to win because you get it's all gets all too crowded. So Turner is going to need space to get the ball, but they got to create space. Even like so even pretending to do it, even having guys go downfield, and if you chuck it and do all vert or something, something crazy like that in the first couple of plays, just to go deep to show that's your threat and that's something you want to work on. Even if you don't catch it, that could help as well. But at some point, you're going to have to catch them clearly. Mm-hmm. But I I do think like. Why not line up in the first play and just go go deep on play number one to Jared Smart or something? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just test him right away. I uh, but I think if there's one thing that Hawaii has to do more than anything to pull an upset is they have to make Dorian Thompson Robinson uncomfortable. And that I think I is sort of a, that is I think is sort of a big if because you know when you look at Hawaii's depth chart for this game. And you see the fact that there's an or attached to every single defensive lineman too deep. Uh, you know, I think it's sort of like an all hands on deck situation where they're going to try anything and everything to, to get in the backfield. But I think to maybe not to their credit is the right word, <laughs> the right phrase. But one thing that UCLA is having to contend with is that their, their usual starting center, Sam Morazzo, still recovering from injury. And so, you know, UCLA has another guy in there who was, I believe, listed as the backup in John Gaines II. You know, that kind of exchange could be something that Hawaii is going to focus on, which, you know, when you when you look at the, the starters tentatively for, for the Warriors, especially on the interior, Pita Tonga, Zacchaeus McKinney, Blessman Ta'ala, Justice Devai. That unit could be presented with a very big opportunity if they can disrupt at the point of attack. Because we've seen in the past, like when, when Thompson Robinson gets rattled, like he can, he can lose games as much as he wins them. And I think if, if Hawaii can do whatever they can to create pressure, especially up the middle, and maybe we see Darius Muisal bullets more often than, than we, we would see in weeks past. And Hawaii trusts that, you know, its defensive backfield is going to be able to do its job and blanket UCLA's receivers, which, you know, other than Greg Dulcich, I don't know that there's anybody else that would really scare you in that wide receiver core. That's how Hawaii hangs around in this game. That's how they give themselves the best opportunity to win it. But also don't we need to talk about Victor Santa Cruz there, man, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's a big opportunity for the defensive line to see how far they have come. It totally is like all the over positions not ideal. But I I'll say it so like I know their record is just okay, but like Dorian Thompson Robinson, whatever, he's a guy who's always had a potential. This, this guy, this guy, he did, he brought it up and did pretty well last year. But I like, and he's a different guy because he's a dual threat guy, can run a bit here and there. But again, like, I can look back, like, how, look at the scheme that, that they did against, like, Nevada and other teams where they, their talent wasn't necessarily there overall, relatively speaking, to who they're playing offensively, which will be the case this game too, where they just out schemed them and the team just couldn't overcome that. Yeah. So I think if they make make him more – like let's just say he wants to run a bit more. Like if they can contain that where he only gets two yards to play or he gets sacked here and there or no gains or 
has to step out of bounds or go to the sideline and chuck it out because he won't get sacked. Mm-hmm. If they can contain him from running as much as he wants to and making him throw, I'm fine with him throwing all day, right? Like I don't have an issue with that. If they make him do one or do that over running the running the ball, that's how they can stop them and get to win. I, I like the scheme wise, like they know what they're doing. This uh, this defense, why the talent brings all the guys back despite the oars. They bring what are they, they bring back the majority of the starters, correct? Yeah, I mean, on the back end, I think the only new starter is the Iowa State transfer, Chima Azuna. Yeah. You know, other, other than that, everybody else in the two deep saw at least some playing time last year. So the, the oars don't really hurt, impact, that don't bother me all that much. A little bit, but not as much as you think they would. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I just, they, I think they're, they're just going to count on a lot of rotations, maybe from, yeah. from drive to drive or, you know, and, and hoping that Chip Kelly doesn't isn't tempted to push tempo that much and and kind of mess with the substitution game. That's part of it too, where they're going to push the ball. The talent, like this game, could be one where decided where it's like late in the game, and okay, UCLA is like, all right, you they rotate all the guys. Like, okay, true freshman or guys ever seen playing time, I'm giving you four plays here to go up against and do your best. Or you get a couple plays here or there, and then the fourth quarter they ride their main guys and starters. That could be a concern depth-wise, where UCLA can put in their five, their four or five-star guy at this position for a couple plays here or there. May not be as experienced, but he's good enough to slow down whoever Hawaii brings against them, or just gives a fresh body. It's like, oh man, this guy hasn't played all game. I'm already tired on mm-hmm. offense or defense and going up against him. That could be something late in the game where the rotation works well. Then the fourth quarter, they just, all right, they're running with their starters 100% and very few subbing. And Hawaii's had to do that the entire game where this starter's only played 60 snaps. Defensive end or offensive lineman for Hawaii's played every snap 80 to 90 in the game. And that could be a big difference, as could be being like quick three and outs to have the defense for Hawaii's. Cordero or whatever happens, they just te- – not that their tempo is amazingly fast, but they have a couple quick three and outs. UCLA has some longer drives because of what they do. That's a concern with depth-wise as well. But even though UCLA scored a lot of points, this game's got a ton of points. Like it's, they scored 35 a game last year. They gave up 30 a game last year. It's going to be I, I'm trying sorry I'm trying to pull up the exact number here, but it's going to be a lot of points. And it might be like like the line 17 points. I think that's just way too many, honestly. But I think it's like whoever gets to like thirty five is probably gonna win this one. I mean this sounds about right to be honest. Cause it's gonna be close. Like the seventeen points, I was took some made some wagers and I'm like, I'm taking Hawaii no matter what. Like seventeen points, they're gonna be within that, right? I don't see there's any reason why it shouldn't be more like at most it might be a two touchdown defeat, but I still don't I don't think that's gonna happen. So I you know, I get I get the sense that you're kind of in the minority, man, because uh, SP Plus favors UCLA hey, by quite, the, a, me, quite a bit, actually. Um, Forty-two point five to twenty-one point four. That's true. Um, and then I mean, the FBI projection is a little a little closer. They do favor UCLA by seven point three. However, so about a touchdown favorite. I'm taking Hawaii to win outright, man. I don't care. Stupid upset pick or not. Week one, UCLA doesn't scare me. Why should they scare you, right? Like, honestly, what are they I'm done not saying to- the UCLA is scary. I'm thinking, you know, is is Hawaii going to be able to put up 30, 35? Yeah. If you okay. look at who they play, like, 
part of it too, like I mentioned LSU earlier, it's like, oh, we got Hawaii week one, and then uh, whatever, we got LSU next week. They're looking, they might be looking, if you know it's week one, first time fans are back in Rose Bowl since November the year before, they might, they're gonna be amped and jazzed about the game. But then again, like, okay, we're playing Hawaii. We got LSU next week. We're playing all six teams, probably in the ranks of top 25. This Hawaii team, whatever, who cares? I just, I just think that, I think, I do think Hawaii is enough. The big, big concern is them getting behind 17 to three in the first quarter or something. Then the comeback could be an issue, but I don't see them having too much of an issue scoring points against us, even though it usually brings most people back. The defense they face, or the offense they face is different compared to what they typically see. Like when you look at who they played last year, Arizona State's sort of comparable, but Arizona State was not great. Jalen Daniels was whatever. I don't know why he's listed on ESPN's top 100 player list. He's like done nothing. But like look who they played last year. They lost to Oregon, who similar offense, like what they want to do, pass the ball and move it a lot. They, they beat Arizona State by a touchdown. That's kind of comparable, too. So it's kind of split with their team, but they give up a million points to USC. They lose their freaking Stanford, who was terrible in double overtime last year, giving up 48 points. I think it was, what, 40 in regulation. I just don't think they're consistent enough to – or disciplined enough. Like, none of these guys know how to win, too. They've all had losing records every year they've been on campus. They're just going to suddenly come out and go 10-2 and two this year? There's a reason they're predicted fifth in the Pac-12 South. Mm-hmm. So – all those combined, I mean, and I'm just saying, Thompson Robinson's fine, whatever, but limit him, limit his rushing a bit here and there, and they'll be good to go. It's just a bridge too far for me. Like, I think it'll be close, so I would happily take 17 and a half or 18 if I could get it. But I think UCLA is going to, I think UCLA is going to pull out a one score game. I, I have them winning 31 to 28. I'm going 35 32 Hawaii. Come it's going to make, gonna make a lot of people feel not great about Chip Kelly out there in Pasadena. You know what's, you know what's still like to make them feel happy? If they don't cover, people aren't going to be happy. If it's a – let's just say Hawaii, Hawaii doesn't win because it's a clear possibility. Let's say it's a 41-30 to 30 game. They're not going to be happy. It's like you allowed Hawaii to be how close? You gave up 30 points to who? Mm-hmm. You'll play LSU the week after? It's like, come on. So that's my predict. All right, final game of the weekend. We only got three. The next game is, and they're all spread out, so everybody should be able to watch these games at ease throughout the day. Oh, yeah. So make sure you get CBS, get CBS Sports Network for the for opener and closer, so you can totally do that. But the final game, San Jose State defending Mountain West champion Spartans, we have to say, no matter what, for a while. And they host Southern Utah, who, oh, this game, what is it in? Seven, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, 7 p.m. kickoff, CBS Sports Network. There is a line on this game, finally came out late, 22 and a half at the moment. Southern Utah, one in five last year, played in the spring. And Southern Utah's kinda usually sorta pretty good. There was a couple of years ago, I think they had two or three players drafted in the NFL, like a couple of DPs and somebody else. That's not the case right now. They are not very good this year, or last year, and the spring didn't play well. They're not projected to do well in the big sky. And they're playing Spartans team who want to kind of come out and prove last year's not a fluke and probably just want to kind of Crush this team for a better lack of words. I mean, I said it. I said it in the Spartans podcast. And I'll say it again. Like Southern Utah was sort of unlucky last year because yeah. you know when you did your your Q and A with Chris Krasinski from the Spectrum, you know he mentioned that that the Thunderbirds had lost each of their five games by by one score, and yeah, that tough. four of those losses were by eight combined points. Like that is rough, especially in a in a in a 
conference as talented, you know, you know FCS wise as the Big Sky. So, you know, it's not like they're going to come in and, and be intimidated by San Jose State. Like they've got some guys who can go in and make plays. Like Justin Miller's not a bad quarterback. You know, I'm going to take a breath before I say this name. La Akea Kaho Ohano Hano Davis, the you know weak side linebacker. He's one of the better linebackers anywhere Matt, Matt, on the FCS on. level. First off, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Second, just call him LK Davis. That's the easy way. To LK Davis is, is that? I just wanted. I didn't know if that was allowed. I, I don't know, but I guarantee the announcers in this game are not going to go like Kehona Hona Davis throughout the game. So I'm just he's a good player. So I get what you're to, saying. He's a, he's a very good all American type linebacker. And oh, yeah. so, like, I, like I said, I don't think Southern Utah is going to you know, win this game, but they're they're good enough to hang around for like a half if if San Jose State gets off to a slow start. Well, I think it's possible. Um, I don't know if they will, but like we look at the Spartans, a couple things we want to look for them. Like, we'll see what Southern Utah does. Like defensively, Mr. Davis there will probably have a pretty good game. He's a good player. And they played teams like he was in – played against Weber State, who's really good in the Big Sky. Like, they – Big Sky is basically the best conference in FCS. So losing those games by essentially a touchdown – Yeah, it's basically it's, them or the Missouri Valley, right? Yeah, up there. It's like, the depth might be more in this conference, but overall it's usually really good. And so it's one of the top two. But what, you, what you're looking at here on the San Jose State side – you're really high on Isaiah Hamilton being the guy at receiver, which he should be. But I kind of want to see, as you probably do as well, who's going to be that second or third receiver, including tight ends that have there are solid. Well, that's where and, the, you know, the, running, the, first, the first depth chart is really interesting in that regard. Because the starting, the, the projected starting trio is Hamilton, Jermaine Braddock, who we both talked, we talked about, you know, in the, in the preview podcast. Third one's kind of a surprise. Redshirt freshman Terrence Lovell. Well, maybe Coach Brennan sees something in Mr. Lovell there to be good, and, and we'll so, see who it is. And so that's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, based off of past precedents, based off of the reputation that they built for themselves on that side of the ball, that sort of makes you pick up and, you know, take notice about, you know, okay, let's see what this guy's got. And he'll have every opportunity, him and other people in this game, because they should win and probably win fairly easily. But this is these are the type of games where, all right, Nick Stark out there, you know what you can do, let's get the ball to all these guys. And then they'll be like I can see this game having like eight receivers catch a pass throughout this game, mm-hmm. and he'll have like maybe three, maybe two eighty three twenty yards depending on how much he'll, they're allowing him to play. But they'll spread the ball around a lot. You'll see you'll probably see a couple of guys like um, like Derek Deese tight and get a handful of catches. You'll see Isaiah Hamilton get out there. But it's gonna be interesting to see who could be that third, fourth, fifth, six, even sixth guy to catch the ball. Not that they'll go that deep, but I think they're gonna want to get all these guys a bunch of opportunities to see who can make plays. Okay, That's so let me ask you, let me ask you this then. What's the one question about San Jose State that you want them to answer with an exclamation point in this game? With an exclamation point, is the rush defense for real? Because every year besides last year, it's been really bad. And I know this is probably not the best game to see how that turns out because you're playing the FCS team. But from what they've, that's kind of the thing we've seen the past couple of years. Like we've joked, like their past defense is so good because everybody just runs against them. And last year was pretty good, just three, what, 3.2 yards of carry? Was 10 TDs, but whatever. I want to see if that can hold up in this game because when we look at years past, they were 4.8 the year before, 
They're probably five yards before, as I'm scrolling through, the year before they're 4.7. They're near, basically nearing five yards a play, 5.41 in 2017. So last year is the first year in years where they've been really good stopping the ball on the ground. That's what I want to see them do is stop the running game and kind of show us on a fluke, even though I'd rather them see them get a better team. But if they, if this team, so the Utah runs for 25 carries, 130, like this one running back has like 110 yards on like 20 carries. That's going to be a bad day for them. So that's what I want to see them stop and honestly, if it's for real. And this is a game where it only starts to show that if they can hold them to under like three and a half yards of carry. See, what I want to see from the Spartans is like whether or not the running game in particular can get off to a fast start. So I want to see more big runs from, from either Tyler Nevins or Kyrie Robinson or Shamar Garrett, you know, whoever ends up providing that element. But I also want to see more efficiency too, because, you know, even in past years when, you know, the running game was sort of like, uh, you know, it was the, the hindrance that made them more one dimensional than they wanted to be in the early years of the Brent Brennan era in particular. It, it, even against prior FCS teams, like, you know, a couple of years ago, they played UC Davis, you know, Northern Colorado, Cal Poly. They never really set the world on fire with their own running game back then either. And so I want to, I want to see that, like, mm-hmm. You know, the first indications that last year's kind of step forward against beatable fronts was no fluke and that it wasn't just a product of like a handful of really big plays. Totally. Because if you look at Talon Evans, his seven, I want to say that too. I was going to mention running game, but I decided against it. He's what seven, just over seven yards per carry. He's not going to last all season, but I, I agree with you. Like I want to see that be more consistent. Basically because the way Nick Starkle throws the ball and passes it. The running game hasn't really been needed to be that good, but this year with not a concern, but a lack of knowledge of who's going to be after Dees and Hamilton, they're probably going to need the running game to be more consistent because if they're winning games, like, like last year, they were playing some re- fairly close games. They weren't, they're scoring points, but they weren't necessarily winning like by two to three to four touchdowns last year. And so if they can get the running game going with a lead, that will totally help them because really only one good thing and multiple bad things can happen when you throw the ball, either catch, mm-hmm. Incompletion or interception, two of the three things are bad that could happen when you pass the ball. And when you look at last year, like kind of like the margin of victory, and like they beat Air Force by eleven, they beat New Mexico reasonably well. But like when they had like the Hawaii game by only eleven points, ten points to Nevada, fourteen to Boise State, those are close enough. Where if they if the passing game falters, where they have to throw to keep moving the ball, that could be an issue if there's incompletions or just stuff doesn't go their way. So that's where I think the running game, you're right, does need to be consistent even early on or any time in the game where if they have a lead or they don't necessarily have to throw the ball where teams aren't going to, oh, they're just going to throw the ball because they have Nick Starkle. Yeah. I, the consistency and then to close games out because if it's a 10-point game and you're still throwing the ball with like four four and a half minutes left and there's a pick six or a short field and team gets a quick touchdown, all of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot, we're only up three points. And then they have the ball back again. They're still throwing it because they can't run it. Mm-hmm. They gotta, they gotta find that balance of running the ball better and more consistently. Yeah, I would agree with that. Does FBI have anything? FBI, F, whatever for the projections. So, so FBI, FBI whatever we're looking at. Does not. I don't. Okay. Oh wait, no, actually they do. That's a pleasant surprise. Um, so yes. SC Plus favors San Jose State to win this game. They have a forty-two point seven to thirteen point seven margin cool. in favor of the Spartans. <laughs> oh um, so they project a big win. Um, FEI does not do FBS versus FCS projections, though, so there is no projection for that one. 
Okay. Um, I'm thinking like 42-13 sounds about right, I think. Yeah, I mean, about I think points. they'll – although I'm realizing the final – no, actually, I did the math correct, incorrectly. Um, I would have been <laughs> – what do you say the point spread was again? 22-21? and 22.5 at the moment, so I'm realizing the the final score prediction I put in my first look back uh, back I think in like late July or something like that. Um, a little bit uh, a little bit kind of bit close there on the on the point spread, but I do think that the Spartans will cover. I have them winning 38 to 14. Okay, yeah, I think right about 40 points is what they'll get. So let's go back to one of our questions we had. Somebody mentioned like who could be the early player of the week on offense or defense. Have you thought of a person who that could be? Yeah, on offense, I think the most likely that would be someone like Jake Hayner. Because I think he's got a big opportunity to get off to a fast start, and it wouldn't shock me if he did something like throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. I'm going to go with that same game. It's easy to maybe see San Jose State and Nick Starkle, but that's kind of too easy. Even though UConn's not, is barely an FBS team, essentially. Um, I think it could be Ronnie Rivers, because your your point's good because you get there for 300 plus, but w- when the game gets, they're up 41 to 3, 28 to 10, 35 to 12 or something, they're just going to give the ball to Ronnie Rivers a lot. So mm-hmm. I think he will, I think he could be the best player this week just because of the way the game flow, the game plays out, and they want to kind of run the ball. Um, if I'm looking for a dark horse, okay, is, well, I'm going to say my, my new favorite player, but you'll get mad at me if I see him again. Do you have any other kind of under the radar guy that could be, Top, um, so like I'll, give you, I'll give you an under-the-radar guy for a defensive pick. Who is it? Quentin Frazier. Why is the, that? The Hawaii Spur. Okay. He kind of plays so that, that, that sort of you know safety linebacker hybrid spot. I think you know, how Santa guy. Cruz chooses to deploy him um, is going to be extremely important for Hawaii's upset bit because I think they need him to be in the right position at, at the right times to in order in order to kind of maybe be in a position to make a big play like a turnover worthy play or even just like a third down stop or something like that. I think that that added element of flexibility that he brings to that offense and that level of havoc that he showed he created he could create last year is going to be something that could be vitally important in this particular game. Hey, also might be watching DTR if he decides to take off and run too. Exactly. And that's about the game too. If they're playing that kind of three three five type deal. That's kind of a different scheme as well. Um, a defense, I could say Kate Hall, but that's pretty easy, same as they state to have a big game against Southern Utah. I don't want to take somebody in that game. I think it's going to be something the Hawaii game. I like your pick as well. Um, I, oh, man, I should look at the defense a bit more. But I think it's going to be something in the, in the Hawaii game because there's more opportunities for playing a better team. Like, is it, like, if somebody from Fresno had, like, 12 tackles and three for a loss. Is that too surprising Cause, just because they're playing UConn? I think it's going to be a Hawaii player. I don't know who, but I like your pick, so maybe I'll just steal your pick. Or maybe That's I could fair. just say Darius. I could say Darius Moose. I'll go with Darius Moose, Sal. He'll be the player of the week for defensively. He'll have a big game. The Hawaii I'll linebacker. I'll hey, they they didn't ask for under-the-radar players. They this asked this for the is true. Players. This is true. They did, they did not place any caveats on the question. I kind of brought it up just because. Um but that's why I think could have a big game. That's big players step up when you play in the Rose Bowl. You're playing against UCLA. They want to beat those powder blue uniforms or baby blue, whatever you want to call it. But this will be a fun week. Three games to watch. Like, let me ask you this. How crazy do you think I am for taking Hawaii going outright? Am I outright crazy to think that's a possibility? 
It's not that crazy. I don't know why UCLA is getting so much helium. Thank you. That's what I like. That's what I like to hear. But I was also talking like the guys from Trojans Wire. First off, early early spoiler, I predict UCLA to get 0-2 in the first amount in the West. And they're like, they're like, you know how to bring it. You're talking to USC guys and crash. I love, I love how you're talking about UCLA, UCLA with USC guys, by the way. That's, well, that's what we're doing. We're, they, they asked me about a couple more Pac-12 games. Like, cause we talked about, mostly I was on there talking about San Jose State playing USC. We talked about that a lot. I think, oh, let's do some other Pac-12 stuff. Big picture. And I'm like, yeah, we talked UCLA. I'm like, hey, we like that. You like the Bruins to lose. I also told them the Cal's probably not going to win. I um, went through a couple when they played Nevada in that opener. So we'll get to that next week, but we, we kind of went over the Pac-12, but I just, I don't get, it's like, UCLA seems like a team to me that's getting the publicity just because they, they improved last year, but only one facet of the ball. Like the offense looked to be better. You have the name with Chip Kelly, but he has a winning record. The defense, oh, the pass defense is good, but heck, you're still giving up 31 points a game. You know what I mean? People really want UCLA to be good again in the same way they want like Tennessee to be good again. Exactly. That's a 100% accurate type of example. They used to be good in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, but they haven't really figured it out since then. And so that's a perfect example, which is why Hawaii is going to be UCLA. So, yeah, there we go. It's bold. I'll give you that. Hey, is it bold or super or just bold? The no, it's it's bold. I will leave I will leave this the the stupid to other people's uh, perspectives. <laughs> I just I just here's the thing. Prove me wrong, right? Like mm. who has more? UCLA has more to prove than Hawaii, right? No, that's like, true. Hawaii, like here's the thing too. Like we joke the Jason Kirk thing. It's like if you're on game day or whatever Fox, and there's like a a everybody's going ten and zero against some random team. I didn't pick the random team just to be different when I made my picks for college football news. I am, however, aligned with, is it Clucko the Chicken? Is that the name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> me and Cluck, I don't know if it's a coin slip or what Pete does or if that's a real person, but me and them have the same pick. of the only one that's picking Hawaii that went out right. So if I'm correct, I'll gloat. If I'm wrong, I'll be wrong. I don't care. It's like it's. It makes me look super smart and everybody else look dumb if it happens, right? But if I'm wrong, nobody expects me to be right. So... That's kind of why I look at it for the stuff upset pick. There you so. go. There you go. Any punch thoughts before we wrap up for the people as we get to week zero? I think we're good to go. All right. So check us out on our website, mwr.com. All sorts of previews, Q&As. Top 50 countdown is going to be done shortly, soon-ish. I don't know. We're getting close. Friday. So that'll be some Friday. Okay. To make it sure. We're just – it's been – it's we've been – Matt's been working hard getting it done. And I I've also haven't helped with my handful of graphic faux pas, faux pas like – a misspelling or wrong picture on a couple of guys throughout the process, but check that out. Check our previews. Go back to our mega preview or even the team previews because we still got a week or so before that. And yeah, get ready for week zero and we made off season is over. And the Mountain West, out of all the games, takes center stage because no other conference has more than one game, I believe. So just tune into Mountain West and uh, check us on Twitter and game day MWCR because I think you'll be handling most of Twitter this weekend, but it's always great and have fun this weekend and relax. If your team's not playing, I don't care. Watch every game this weekend. That's what I'm going to end with. So we'll see you next um, couple days for the recap of week zero, then on to week one. Good one, everybody.